Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Preet Bharara and I'm the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Uh, today we unseal charges against nine men for wide-ranging crimes of corruption in New York. The allegations include bribery, bid rigging, extortion, fraud, and false statements. The defendants include not just government insiders, but also corporate executives who made the criminal decision to pay bribes to help their companies. One of the nine men is Todd Howe, a powerful and connected lobbyist with close ties to the governor's office as to how the charges have already been proven. Yesterday, he pled guilty to an eight-count information and is cooperating with the government. As to the other eight men, the charges at this stage are still merely allegations, but we intend to prove every single one of them at a fair trial in federal court. The charges against these eight men are laid out in a detailed complaint that runs to about 80 single-spaced pages. I commend it to your attention, the actual document, because I have time to give only a brief summary this afternoon. In essence, today's complaint shines a light on yet another sordid side of the show-me-the-money culture that has so plagued government in Albany. It turns out that the state legislature does not have any kind of monopoly on crass corruption in New York. The, com the complaint describes two overlapping criminal schemes. In the first, we allege that Joseph Prococo, the former executive deputy secretary to the governor, and therefore one of the most powerful people in all of New York, was on the tape. Specifically, we allege that over time, he solicited over $320,000 in bribes from two different companies with business before the state in exchange for official actions in their favor. In the second scheme, we allege pervasive corruption and fraud in the Buffalo Billion Initiative and similar programs. Specifically, we intend to prove that real estate developers in Buffalo and Syracuse paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to Todd Howe while they knew Todd Howe was also working for the state, supposedly to run a fair bidding process for state contracts. They made these payments, we allege, to be guaranteed to win those contracts. In other words, hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes for hundreds of millions of dollars in state contracts. In each case, the bids were rigged and the results were preordained. Companies got rich and the public got bamboozled. So let me spend just a couple of minutes on each of the schemes described in the complaint. So as I said, first, we allege a scheme in which Joseph Prococo abused his enormous power and influence as one of the governor's closest aides to obtain bribes from two companies, one described in the complaint as the energy company and the other as the Syracuse developer. Alleged bribes paid by the energy company were arranged by another defendant, Peter Galbraith Kelly, 
who was working on behalf of that company to win state approvals for a $900 million power plant in upstate New York. We allege a classic quid pro quo. Here was the alleged quid. Kelly, we say, concocted a $90,000 a year low-show job for Joe Prococo's wife. While getting paid $90,000 a year, Prococo's wife, we say, never did more than 25 hours of work in a month, sometimes working as little as two or three hours in an entire month. And the alleged quo, we say that Prococo was essentially on call for the energy company, repeatedly called upon to exert official pressure on multiple state officials to find ways to help the energy company. Um, there's a lot of detail there, and that's laid out in the complaint at pages 33 to 38. The complaint also alleges that Prococo was persistent in demanding bribe money and shows that official actions taken were done for that money. As the complaint describes, Prococo and Howe use a colorful coded term for that bribery money, ZD, which they apparently lifted from an episode of The Sopranos, as in, and this is described in the complaint, quote, keep the ZD flowing, close quote, and, quote, don't tip over the ZD wagon, close quote. The second company that allegedly bribed Prococo was a Syracuse real estate development firm run by defendants Stephen Aiello and Joseph Girardi. In return for at least $35,000 in bribe payments, Prococo allegedly helped the company in its dealings with the Empire State Development Corporation, helped free up millions of dollars in state funds to be paid to the company, and even got Aiello's son, who worked in the governor's office, a raise. In all, we allege that Prococo and his wife pocketed some $322,000 over the course of about four years. Now to the second scheme. The second scheme, we allege, involves corruption and bid rigging at the heart of massive state development projects, including the so-called Buffalo Billion program. As alleged, through rigged bids, state contracts worth nearly a billion dollars for public development projects meant to revitalize and renew upstate New York were instead just another way to corruptly reward cronies willing to pay to play. Elaine Calieros, the president of SUNY, of SUNY Polytechnic, and Todd Howe publicly made it appear as if these contracts were being awarded through a fair and open bidding process. But behind the scenes, they were cynically rigging the whole process so that the contracts would go to hand-picked friends of the administration, friends being a euphemism for large donors. Howe made money on both sides. He served both as a paid consultant of the nonprofit running the bidding process and also as a paid consultant to the developers seeking the contracts. This was, of course, an inherently corrupt arrangement. With the heavy hand of Calieros and Howe, bid proposals were secretly tailored to favor either the Syracuse developer or the Buffalo developer, respectively. Rather than run a real bid, as was required by law and expected by the public, Calieros and Howe, we allege, ran a rigged process. There are a lot of examples in the complaint. I'll give you a couple. One, the companies basically got to write the RFPs, the request for proposal, themselves often dictating the specific qualifications so they themselves would best qualify. For example, when the Syracuse developer saw that an RFP for the contract it wanted required audited financials, 
which is an understandable requirement, do you think? Aiello and Girardi got Collieris to change it because a similar requirement for audited financials had previously dis uh, disqualified the company from another contract. The rigging of the bids became so blatant that at one point the Syracuse developer expressed concern in the margins of a draft RFP that was secretly shared with him, wondering, was that too telegraphed? Meaning, maybe they were being even themselves too obvious and needed to be more subtle. Similarly, with the Buffalo RFP, Collieros included a requirement, uh, which has been re was reported in the press, that the winning bid had to go to a local developer with over 50 years of experience, which would only qualify to one developer, uh, conveniently a qualification held by Louis Simonelli's company. Collieros later claimed when there was some outcry publicly that it was a typo, claiming that the RFP was supposed to say 15 years, not 50. Even an executive with the Buffalo developer admitted in an email to Simonelli that, quote, 50 was a bit obnoxious. We allege it was more than obnoxious, that it was criminal. Uh, what I've described for you are uh, depicted in these two charts. First, I talked about the alleged Prococo bribery scheme, scheme one, uh, set forth in the complaint. As you see, uh, we allege that Joseph Prococo solicited bribes and payments from, from two entities, the energy company, the Syracuse developer, one to the tune of $287,000, the other to the tune of $35,000, and took various official actions, including trying to get them an energy purchase agreement and an energy credit deal. That's for the energy company. And on the other side, for the Syracuse developer, various things, including reversing a pro-union decision, and that, we allege, is the, 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 the quid pro quo that, pro, pro quo that we say uh, is classic in nature. With respect to the bid rigging scheme, uh, similarly, you see the reappearance, uh, allegedly, of the Syracuse developer. Here we have Todd Howe is working on both sides, both, along with Elaine uh, Calieros, to put together the development programs uh, and, and go over the bidding process, but at the same time was making an extraordinary amount of money, $100,000 a year from the Buffalo developer, $168,000 a year plus a huge bonus from the Syracuse developer in order to make sure that they got the contracts that they wanted while also being in control of the bidding process uh, in the first place. And you see that in the end, the rigged state contract process that we allege brought the Buffalo developer something like $750 million in projects and the Syracuse developer $105 million in projects. Uh, we wouldn't be here without the extraordinary work of a lot of folks, and I want to thank them. I want to thank the FBI, represented here today by Adam Cohen, special agent in charge of the Buffalo Field Office, for their tremendous work in this investigation. In particular, I want to thank Supervisory Special Agent Robert Gross and Special Agents Gary Jensen, Ben Farnsworth, and Kathleen Garber for their really exemplary work on this investigation. I also want to thank the IRS, with whom we work closely on this case, represented here by Special Agent in Charge Chantel Kitchen. And in particular, I want to thank one of her folks, uh, Special Agent Karen Flanagan. I want to recognize the New York State Attorney General's Office, who has their own separate investigation into related conduct. We appreciate their cooperation and coordination with our office. And last uh, but never least, I want to thank the folks in my own office, the career prosecutors and investigators who have killed themselves to make this very complicated case uh, and sweeping case in, in just about a year. They have been relentless, thorough, and thoughtful, as they always are, and I thank them for it. In particular, I want to thank Assistant U.S. Attorneys Janice Eckenberg, Robert Boone, David Zhao, Matthew Podolsky, 
led by the chief of our public corruption unit, Andrew Goldstein. I also want to thank our incredible investigators who worked around the clock as well, uh, Eric Blackman and Delissa Penland. A as I said at the beginning, uh, these charges are just allegations. And eight of the defendants are right now presumed innocent. Guilt to be determined or not at trial. And I will tell you, I really do hope that there's a trial in this case so that all New Yorkers can see in gory detail what their state government has been up to. Now let me bring to the podium uh, Special Agent in Charge of the FBI's Buffalo Field Office, Adam Cohen. Thank you, U.S. Attorney Barrara. Um, good morning, or good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as the U.S. Attorney said, my name is Adam Cohen. I'm the Special Agent in Charge of the FBI office in Buffalo. Just as important as that, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born in Brooklyn and raised on Long Island. <clears throat> After heading off to Boston for college, I returned to New York to work for local government in the town of Islip. And while that was not an elected position, I very, very much liked the idea of serving the public. In 1997, I joined the FBI, <clears throat> and ironically, my FBI career quickly brought me back to New York City, where I worked terrorism investigations. After a stint in Washington, D.C., it came time for me to apply for agent in charge positions, and I chose the Buffalo office. And once again, I found myself happy to be back in New York State. So you may notice a pattern here. New Yorkers have a way of finding our way back home. So while I work for an agency that covers the globe, it's apparent that I focused much of my life and my career here in New York State. Native New Yorkers and transplants to the state understand that's a very special place to call home, and we're very protective of New York. That's why this case, which entails aspects of public corruption in all of our most recognizable cities throughout the state is not only professionally problematic for the FBI, but it's also personally upsetting, not only to me, but to the agents, the investigators, and the prosecutors whose dedicated efforts led to the arrests that you've just heard about. While I am relatively new to Western New York State, in the last year, I've come to learn much about the region. It's rich history and it's early 20th century prosperity. With the Erie Canal, I'm sorry, with the Lake Erie, <clears throat> it was known far and wide. Back then, Buffalo was a true economic hub, valued for its ample fresh water and convenient trade routes. The grain, steel, and auto industries all flourished. Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture and Frederick Law Olmsted's parks and parkways further enhanced the region's draw and beauty. It was a rich and a vibrant city, and it was loved by all of those who called it home. But by mid-century, there was an economic downturn in the region. For decades, it lost the things that gave it its value, its jobs, and its people. The population dropped as the area struggled economically. But if you 
Fast forward to 2012, that's when things were added to Buffalo's rich history, and it became a new history. With an influx of government money and subsidies and lots of hardworking people, there are now places like the Canal Side District, the Harbor Center, the Buffalo Niagara Medical Campus, and Riverbend. With the help of New York State, the city of Buffalo started making headway in its vision to emerge successful and prosperous once again. To now become developed and modernized through new success and growth, beckoning the still familiar memories of a century ago. Today, there's an excitement about the future of Western New York. Something very new, but something long hoped for. We often hear people use words loosely, such as rebirth or revitalization when they talk about development. But those words, those things, are actually happening in Buffalo today. And the Buffalo Billion should have helped to regrow Buffalo. By supplementing the existing hopes of the hardworking people and the businesses that chose to stay and build the region, but the new construction and its promises of increased economic development and jobs have now been tainted by the acts of people who held positions of power. People who abused the programs that were put in place to not only better the region, but to also better the lives of New Yorkers who love to live and work in the state. The arrests announced today by U.S. Attorney Barrara speak volumes to those who arrogantly take what is not theirs, who act without morals and ignore ethics, those who willingly break the law because they choose greed. The people arrested today personally tarnished an historic opportunity that they had no right to tamper with. They compromised the integrity of government and impeded the promise of liberty. And they did it in New York State, and they did it throughout New York State. New Yorkers should not and will not stand for it. We cannot say it often enough. It's the expectation of the public that government officials are not in their positions to self-deal or to serve their personal interests. Thank you. And with that, I'll turn it back to the U.S. Attorney. Uh, thank you. Now we'll hear from the head of the IRS here in New York, Chantel Kitchen. Good afternoon. My name is Chantel Kitchen, and I'm the special agent in charge of the New York Field Office of IRS Criminal Investigation. I would thank, like to thank the U.S. Attorney for this opportunity to make some brief comments before you today. As the law enforcement arm of the Internal Revenue Service, IRS criminal investigation is responsible for investigating criminal tax fraud and related financial crimes. Our expertise as financial investigators take us IRS criminal investigation special agents into investigations involving all kinds of willfully unreported sources of taxable income, both legal and illegal. Like our partners in the United States Attorney's Office, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, we take allegations of public corruption by public officials and public employees very seriously. And we are always ready to contribute to an investigation when the allegation of corruption 
involves a financial component. I emphasize that illegal source income, including bribes, is in fact taxable and must be reported. Voluntary compliance is the... who has to file a United States tax return does so timely, accurately, and honestly. The honest taxpayer's confidence in the tax system depends on everyone paying their fair share, regardless of their occupation, wealth, or prominence, or their public office or position. Finally, this investigation is another example of the successful partnership between the prosecutors and investigators of this United States Attorney's Office the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and IRS criminal investigation. I look forward to having more to say at a later date. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chantel. Happy to take some questions. Great. Um, a few months ago, you issued a statement uh, regarding matters you had investigated on the Moreland Commission, giving Governor Cuomo essentially a clean bill of health. Can you make the same statement and give Governor Cuomo a clean bill of health on matters related to the charges that you've investigated and there are charges today? Yeah. What I can say uh, at this moment is that there are no allegations of any wrongdoing or misconduct by the governor uh, anywhere in this complaint. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular about the Buffalo billing contracting process that you think allowed it to be exploited in this way? Was there anything wrong in the, in the Buffalo billing contract? Yeah, well, I think if you, re if you read the complaint, you see uh, uh, I'm not going to prescribe particular ways in which the oversight should have been better, um, and whether or not there are more questions that should have been asked. And obviously, when people are engaged in fraud and are not revealing things, we see this time and time again in lots of cases that we bring, it's not always possible to know that the fraud is taking place. So, for example, I think we lay out in the complaint that the Fort Schuyler Board, which was established to basically oversee some of this contracting, did not know that, that Todd Howe was being paid also by the companies as a consultant, so that he was on, on both ends of the, of the process. Um, I leave it to others to figure out what could be better about the bidding process, but one of the reasons we bring these cases is not only to hold the particular individuals accountable, to but to provide details for the public to understand uh, even what bad conduct took place and for people who are in a position to make sure it doesn't happen again uh, to adopt those reforms. So it may be the case that there should be some. Yeah. Uh, is it, you, you've, uh, in the complaint, you refer explicitly to uh, Rococo as the governor's right-hand man. You make it very clear also uh, that uh, Lake Higueros, who was the head of the Sumo Technic, another organization, effectively executive branch in the governor's direction in one of his signature plans uh, was helping to rig, bid, rig, uh, rig bids in favor of donors to the governor's campaign. Is it in your view realistic to believe the governor was completely oblivious to all of this going on in his branch of government? Yeah, it's not my job to comment on what is realistic or not realistic. We bring particular charges against particular people and I said before and I'll say again there's no allegation of wrongdoing on the part of the governor in this complaint. Yeah. Was the governor interviewed as part of this investigation? Yeah. So what arrangements were made? What arrangements were made? Like refreshments? Yes. Uh, I, don't com I don't comment on, on who we interviewed and who we didn't unless it's something that, that is revealed specifically in the complaint. Yeah. Um, you say, you've said repeatedly now that there's no allegations of wrongdoing involving the governor in this complaint. Is the investigation ongoing and do you anticipate that there could be uh, further charges considered involving anybody else? State government, yeah. Anytime we bring a, a, a case like this, where there are a lot of allegations and a lot of defendants, um, we bring it at the time we think makes sense to bring it. When we brought to closure uh, a certain part of the investigation, but this investigation, as a general matter, 
remains open, like many other investigations, as a general matter, remain open. Yeah. The, the, the recitation of donations made uh, in the complaint are part of the background context of the relationship between various defendants that we charge today. In other words, relations between people who are soliciting uh, bribe, what we characterize as bribe payments and people who are willing to pay them or were extorted into paying them. Uh, but the, so, so it provides uh, some background on the motivations on the part of the folks who are paying uh, bribes showing that they want to curry favor in a particular way. The, the crux of the criminal complaint, though, is what I've described and what's depicted on these charts, and that is the illicit payments, most of which were not disclosed uh, in the Prococo uh, circumstance as depicted on this chart and in uh, the bid rigging scheme as depicted on that chart. Yeah. Have you noticed since you've been working on all these different cases involving all the different figures from all of have you noticed that it has changed, gotten better, or is it just as bad as all? Has the situation in Albany gotten better since, well? Since you started working on all these cases. I, I, I presume some people have, have gotten the message and abstained from engaging in criminal activity, but, um, you know, we're as busy as we ever were, um, maybe busier. So to the extent that's a proxy for whether or not things have gotten better, I don't know. But the evidence, the, the, only, the only metrics I have are how many cases and investigations and people we're charging with respect uh, to how government operates in the state. And if that's the metric you use, then the assessment is not a positive one. Um, and by the way, I want to make clear um, that when I say Albany, I'm talking about government in Albany. And Albany is a wonderful town, as the mayor has told me multiple times, in which I know to be true. Yeah. I think the cases have been speaking, I speak from time to time about the state of affairs. The cases speak much, much more loudly than, than any small snippet of rhetoric that I would provide. And when you have an 80-page complaint here, and we'll wait to prove those charges in court, and we expect and hope that we will, um, but you have long complaints and indictments with respect to many, many officials going back a number of years now, and when you see people engaging in misconduct, uh, year after year after year, and not a, not a tiny percent, not everyone. There are a lot of great, honorable public servants in the executive branch, in, this, in uh, the legislative branch, and that's true everywhere. Um, but it is a bit disheartening, as I think the cases make plain, when you see not just particular individuals engaging in misconduct, but again, if we prove the allegations in this case, it's not just about uh, you know, particular transgressions on the part of, of particular people, but a systemic problem. So you have uh, you're not just one person doing something wrong, we allege, but a whole system and network of folks, insiders and also uh, government exec uh, corporate executives, uh, with respect to huge infrastructure projects and development projects in the state. So it's not small stuff, um, like like some kinds of public corruption cases that you see. This is this is big time stuff, and it goes to the core of how I think state government operates, and it's and it's distressing and disconcerting. Yeah. Separately, on a different thing, you 
Yeah, with respect to Rahami, I'm not, able, I'm not in a position to give you a medical update. Um, I don't know what's public and what's known, but I, I, I can't do that. Uh, with respect to whether or not a particular retained defense lawyer said on behalf of a particular charged defendant today that he may or may not make an argument in court, either pre-trial or at trial, that a certain Supreme Court decision uh, precludes our charging, we can, we can decide that in court. But obviously, um, we're in the habit of reading Supreme Court precedent that affects uh, the basis for our making cases, and we believe that we're, we're well within uh, what is allowed in terms of charging. Yeah. If, if you, I don't want to give a lecture on, on Supreme Court jurisprudence at the moment, but McDonald essentially said that there are certain kinds of action that are, uh, that are that, that the court would not find to be official action, such as merely arranging meetings or engaging in certain kinds of constituent service. We allege very specifically, and that's why I pointed to the six pages of the complaint with respect to the first scheme, uh, the second scheme, sorry, or the first scheme, um, that time and time again, uh, Joe Prococo, for example, engaged in specific official conduct by putting the arm on, on other officials who were in government to get them to engage in favorable action, concrete favorable action, for the people who were paying him uh, in, a, in an undisclosed way. So that'll be argued about in court, but you can imagine that the folks in our office and the agents with whom we work were very careful and thorough in bringing allegations that we think are outside of the scope of what uh, the McDonald case narrowed. Thanks, everyone. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.